the Lord God, the Lord formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. Whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. Going down to verse 21. Verse 20, I'm sorry. The man gave names to the livestock, to the birds of the sky, every wild animal, but the man had no helper found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife. And they become one, one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. Yet felt no shame. There was this picture of oneness and openness was this original DNA that we, that we were created in. It is this picture that we tap into sometimes in our marriage. Have you ever gone through that thing where you're like you told your spouse that thing you did not want to tell them? And you felt a little freer, and a little closer, a little less ashamed, right? That is intimacy growing in a marriage. Because the distance, the problem with distance and closeness is this right here. It's intimacy. And now we hear the word intimacy and we think go right to like sexual intimacy. But hear this. If there's not emotional intimacy and spiritual intimacy, there will not be true sexual intimacy. And so many times the spiritual and the emotional go way before the sexual does. So what destroys this? If we were created with this oneness, this lack of shame, this joy, this being known, what destroys it? If you've been in church at all, you know this answer. Let's go to Genesis 3. It's good for us to be reminded of, of what happened. Verse 1. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the, tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the, of the tree from the, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. But about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food, delightful to look at, and it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her. Package deal. And he ate it, and the eyes of both were, of them were opened. And they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the consequence of our sin. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And here is the tragedy. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. We went from close with God and each other to distant and opposed with God and each other. 
we went from being known and open to being to hiding and being in shame. We went from close to distant. And, and the thing I want to talk about today is how do we go from distant to close in our marriages? Well, what destroys intimacy? What destroyed the trust here? Well, this is the, the, the Sunday school answer. It was sin. Sin destroyed this bond. Sin destroyed the intimacy. Now, there's two kinds of sins we're going to talk about today. There's the sins that you commit, the sins that you sin against your spouse. Those sins destroy intimacy. If I lie to my wife, I am hurting our relationship and our intimacy. That's one kind of sin. But there's another kind of sin, the sin where you've been sinned against. So, for example, my parents uh, divorced, right? Uh, My father left my mother. I was sinned against. And because of that sin, there are consequences even today for my marriage. And if I don't deal with being sinned against, even years ago, that sin will have a consequence that affects my marriage today. And both those kinds of sins, the sins that we commit and the sins against us in the past, can hear, hear this, friends, can destroy the intimacy of our marriage and destroy our marriages and continue a legacy of sin and brokenness. Because here's the deal. Sin breaks trust. And trust creates safety. And then safety leads to intimacy. If you see a lack of trust, that couple does not feel safe with each other. And they will never be truly known and truly intimate. They might have sex, but they won't be truly known and be truly intimate. Because sin breaks trust. And a lack of trust is a lack of safety. And I think a lot of our marriages, there is less trust and less safety than we need to grow spiritually. One of the greatest gifts God's given us is our covenant. And when our covenant is fractured and there is this hiding from each other, we are missing out on the joy of sanctification through our spouse. Listen, we're designed to have close intimacy. Sin came in, destroyed that. But hear this, friends, hear this. The gospel restores intimacy. The gospel restores relationship. The question is how. If you're here today, whether whether you're on like the last leg of your marriage, you're ready to say you're done, or you're in a decent spot, there are steps we can take to move to further intimacy, to being further known. And here's how. Our first step. We must look up. We must look up. So if we want to go from from being distant to being close, our first reaction, our first posture is to look up and be reconciled with God. Because we said sin fractures intimacy. Whether sin in your life, whether sin in your marriage, we must first look up. Our first step is to go up to God. We go vertical before we go horizontal. Go to Psalm 51, if you don't mind. This is the psalm written. uh, So if you know the story in the Bible where uh, David 
commits adultery with Bathsheba, then has her husband killed. This grievous sin. And then this prophet, Nathan, confronts David in his sin. So David committed adultery and committed murder. And here is his response after he's confronted. Verse 1, he says, Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt. Cleanse me from my sin, for I am conscious of my rebellion. You're seeing a picture of what we call godly repentance, a, a true contrition. He says, my sin is always before me. You can hear in his words the depth he feels of his sin, can't you? But here is the key in verse 4. Against you, remember, adultery and murder. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Before we attempt to restore intimacy with our spouse that we have sinned against, we must go to the one who the offense is truly against. Where the rebellion rebellion truly takes place. Honestly, it's the one we should truly fear. Whenever we do something to hurt our spouse or break intimacy with our spouse, we are normally so afraid of our spouse. And listen, I get it. I'm married. If I lie to my wife, the last thing I'm ready to do is tell her the truth, right? Because I'm going to hurt her, and she might hurt me. I don't know. But here is the thing. The one we should truly fear is God. That is one that we first offended. Listen, there's a big difference between godly repentance and worldly repentance. See, see, worldly repentance says this. You're sorry you got caught and you want your spouse to be okay, but you don't want to go to God and do all this work. You just want them to be better. You just want to fix it. It's like painting over the mess, right? That is that worldly repentance. But godly repentance says, I'm going to go to God. I'm going to stop hiding. I'm going to go to the source of my offense. I'm going to look up and be reconciled with God. This has huge implications for intimacy. And here's why. We are made to be in relationship with God. And if we're not reconciled with God, we are never going to feel safe enough to be known by others. Many of us, because we've never truly been reconciled with God, we're still hiding in our sin, if we're honest, walking in kind of this half repentance. We're not fully reconciled and free because there's this sense, you see it with David here, asking to be have this sin to be blotted out until we truly receive forgiveness from God, we could not move forward to reconciliation. If we bypass that, we're always going to walk in hiding because only he can truly forgive and heal. But what about the person who was sinned against? So if you lied to your spouse, Or if you used words that hurt your spouse. Remember, when sin happens, trust is broken, intimacy wanes, right? 
So you use words to hurt your spouse at that moment, and it might not be huge, but some level of trust is broken. What does the offended party do? Go to Romans 8. There is all, all kinds of things throughout Scripture for the person who was sinned against, for the person who's been afflicted by the sins and the hurts of this world. But I love Paul's words here in Romans 8. It's here in uh, verse 35. He says this, Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. That's marriage sometimes, isn't it? Because of you, I'm dying every day. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Maybe it's not that extreme in your marriage, hopefully not. Verse 37, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Hear this, friends. There's a sense... um, Your spouse is a gift from God, but your spouse is always going to let you down, right? There's only one to look to. There's only one. There's only one to look to for that level of worship and trust. It's to look to him, look to him who loved us. For I'm persuaded by neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're sinned against and you're walking in that level of hurt, vulnerability, there's some fear, there's affliction, go to the one person. Your spouse cannot heal you in that moment. If you've been hurt by somebody, you're highly aware of this. That person can't fully fix what they broke. But our God is a restoring God. He can restore your heart. And before you try to restore your marriage, restore your heart through his love for you. Our only hope is to look to Christ. Who who more than him understands affliction? Who more than him understands being sinned against? Who more than him understands being cheated on, lied to, abused? More than our sympathetic high priest, Savior Jesus. So as we think about restoring intimacy, our first posture is to look up. Whether you are the sinner or you are sinned against, we must look up to receive forgiveness and receive healing. Going up is the first and most important step we take to restore intimacy in our marriage, in our lives. But it's not the only step. And I think too many times we try to do this step and then just move forward. But we must also look back. We must look back. And hear this, friends. We must deal with the past. Remember, what destroys intimacy is sin. It's our sin against our spouse and our our being sinned against in the past that we never deal with, I promise you, will destroy intimacy. Go to John 4 real quick, if you don't mind. I know I have you turn a lot today. Um, I know it's the horror of opening God's word a lot. It's just really tough. John 4, verse 14. 
This is a great picture of Jesus walking with someone and walking with them through their past. Verse 14. This is the woman at the well. He says, whoever drinks from that water, I will give them, that I will give him, will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. This is the gospel. Jesus is pointing her to the water, to the good news that brings abundant life. But it keeps going. Verse 15, she says, sir, the woman said, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and I come here to draw water. She wants this, she wants this thing to fix her, right? But then Jesus points her back. 16, go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. Verse 17, I don't have a husband, she answered. This is when he like really like pinpoints her shame. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, for you've had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And in that moment, have you ever been there before? When, like you said, uh, that you couldn't be somewhere and they see, you th- they see you at the grocery store or something? Like you're caught, in a sense, in your lie and your shame. Her past in front of the Savior and Creator of the world is brought right in front of her. And he says, I know the truth about your past. But he also is a part of her restoration. As a part of her intimacy with God himself, he knew that she had to deal with her past. Dealing with the shame of her past is what's going to allow her to walk free and to trust Christ further. And the truth us, the truth is, many of us in this room have not dealt with the past. We have not dealt with our past hurts. Whether it's sins we've committed in the past that we're still hiding. I am Hollywood. In this room right now, there are people that are walking in sins that nobody knows about. Those sins of the past are destroying your walk with God and your marriage. But also, sins committed against you that have hurt you from your past. Here is the key. To go forward in intimacy, we must also go back. This can be summed up in in just two truths, two very essential biblical truths. First, the blessings and the sins of our families going back two or three generations profoundly impact who we are today. Hear this today, friend. Two or three generations of your past impact where you are today. Second, discipleship, becoming more like Christ, requires putting off the sinful patterns passed down from our families of origin and relearning how to do life in God's way, in his family way. Quite frankly, we have had some stuff from our earthly family be passed down to us that are not part of God's family. And too many of us walk around having no idea that we're walking in functional sin passed down from generation to generation. Hear this. What happens in one generation often repeats itself in the next. The consequences of actions and decisions taken in one generation affect those who follow. We see this all the time, right? We see it with addiction, don't we? Many times you see this pattern of addiction in a family, a pattern of abuse in a family, a pattern of divorce in a family, a pattern of sexual sin in 
a family. God, in the Ten Commandments, says this. He, he kind of connects this reality to the very nature of who he is. He says here, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth or beneath or in the waters below. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Listen, family patterns are played out in our present relationships without us even knowing it sometimes. That's why I gave you on these notes, we'll get this in a little bit, this thing called a genogram to help you as a Christian, as a spouse, walk through your family of origin. Identify where there could be patterns or traumas in your past that are affecting you today, that you're walking in sin today that were passed down from your parents. Now, unfortunately, it's not possible to erase the negative effects of our stories, of our history. You know, I remember when me and Tracy got married, I had many godly people say, well, your parents got a divorce, so you really need to go to counseling before you got married. And they were right. Like, I I can't change that from happening. I'm not wrong because that happened, but it did happen. Does that make sense? We all grew up in households even with godly parents. Now, this is not parent shaming. Because here's the deal. One day I have two kids. I am doing something that's not perfect for my kids. I know it's hard to believe. I know it is. But we're we're doing some things that aren't perfect, right? And they're going to have to reconcile with that and deal with that. And the same is true for us, that we came from families of origin that are hurting and walking in sin. Many of the reasons you sin or many of the reasons you respond to sin of how, or how you respond to sin are birthed in your family of origin. And if we never deal with the past, I promise you, it's going to have an effect on your present. It's going to have an effect on the intimacy in your marriage. And in our marriages, they make sure and they prevent us from not moving forward as one. So we look up. Hopefully we look back and finally we move forward. We move forward and we walk in intimacy. I will tell you this. Our tendency is we want to move forward and restoration way too fast. We want to bludgeon with a knife and put on a Band-Aid. Because the pain of restoration is long and it is hard, but hear this, it is good. One of the beauties of our Father, of our Savior, is that when we mess up, He takes the dumpster fire of our decisions through His grace and His mercy, and He restores and He makes things new and He makes things better through allowing you to be crushed by your own failure, by your own sin. But hear this. It is not you mess up big today and it's fixed next week. And there's been too many times in the church we use the language of forgiveness to bludgeon hurt people. Because when we commit acts of aggression through our words, through infidelity, through actual physical harm, those things take a while to recover from. Yes, forgiveness can come freely and it should come freely. 
But hear this. Trust, safety, and reconciliation, it takes time. It takes time and it takes effort. But see, godly repentance doesn't just say, I'm sorry. It moves forward to the hard part of reconciliation. Last text today, go to Luke 19. We see a great picture of what I believe godly repentance and restoration can and should look like. From our wee little man, Zacchaeus. Luke 19, verse 5, says this. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry. I want to sing right now so bad. Hurry and come down because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down. I imagine him just kind of waddling down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain, saying, he's gone to stay with a sinful man. Listen. Hear this. Don't say anything. There's going to be times when your spouse is going to screw up so bad, nobody thinks they're worthy of grace. And hear this. There are times in a marriage where somebody has sinned, and the consequence of their sin is so great, the marriage ends. I believe that happens. But I will tell you this. No one is beyond the grace of God. And don't use the crowd to determine who's worthy of grace. Because the crowd said Zacchaeus wasn't worthy. What did Jesus say? He said, let's go, man. Let's go. And look what he does in Zacchaeus' life. Verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, this is a man who had stolen from people, lied to people, taken money from people that had nothing. He, in, in our world sometimes, in our Christian world, we say, okay, he just says he's sorry, right? He asked forgiveness and he's forgiven. Yes and amen, that is true. But godly repentance always seeks restoration and reconciliation. Keep going. He says, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. Lord, if I've extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Listen, to restore intimacy, we do our best to make things right. To make things right. Jesus says here, today salvation has come to this house. Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham, for the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. Restoration is possible and it happens through him. Listen, Zacchaeus restored money. That's tangible. And in a sense, that's easy. It's a lot harder to restore trust, isn't it? To restore safety. To restore intimacy. That takes work. So when we blow it with somebody, with our spouse, and we're seeking to restore that trust, that safety, that intimacy, yes, we should freely forgive each other because our forgiveness is paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is true. But to restore true wholeness, True intimacy, that takes work. That, that takes effort. That takes time. There's three ways I'll encourage you to regain trust in your marriage. Or to regain, when you blow it, to regain intimacy. First step I would take. First thing. Slow. Slow. The, how do I say this? The offending 
party that offended can never tell the party that was offended how fast they can kill them. When you destroy trust, many times you attack it with something that's really hard to recover from. So first is slowly. Second, gracefully. This is the sinned against and the sinner. The sinned against, you're going to have to look to Christ, receive his love, so that supernaturally you can show grace and love to the offender, right? And if you're the one that's offended, you've got to walk in grace and patience with your offended spouse. Because you broke the egg, right? We can't get mad if we break the eggs. It takes a while to clean up eggs. It takes a while. And this is the, the third one. It's a lot of fun. Painfully. I feel like I'm doing a terrible sell on regaining trust today. It's slow, it's graceful, and it's painful. It's painful. But I'll tell you this too. The slow work, the grace-filled work, the hard work, that's good work. That's work that lasts a lifetime. That's work that restores a relationship. That's work that brings joy we didn't know was possible in our marriages. That's work that God can use to create a new legacy that puts off the sinful patterns of a lifetime. It's good work. But I'm not going to sit here and tell you, whenever you sin against your spouse, there are consequences. But God can restore things to a much, much better place. Listen, today was a lot, I feel like. A, a, a little heavy. Um, there's a lot. But here, here's two things. As we try to really walk in moving towards restoration and deeper intimacy in our marriage, there's two things. I, I would encourage you this week, take time and, and walk through and fill out the genogram. Fill it out. Get an idea of the patterns of your family of origin, uh, of what you're coming from. And I will tell you, I, I believe as you do this, um, things will come up. Things, um, things might even be a little difficult for you as you kind of walk through some of these things. I know as I have in the past, I've been surprised at like some emotions that came up um, in my life. And, and I think all of this, I will just tell you, is extremely, extremely delicate. If there is broken intimacy in your marriage, repairing that, uh, restoring that, is very, very delicate. And you're going to need people to help you walk through that. And so my second step I'd encourage you to take is, if you want to meet with someone, you can meet with me or I'll find somebody to talk to. If you don't want to meet with me, that's fine. But I, I believe if, you have, if you're walking in some issues here where you feel distant in your marriage, you need someone to help you walk through steps of restoration. You do. You desperately do. Um, and so I would encourage you to reach out. Um, I, I am one of your pastors. I promise you I love you. I promise you I'm praying for you. I promise no matter what you walk through, there will be absolutely no judgment. I don't want you to judge me for my past. I'm not telling you all my stories right now. And so um, I, I mean this. It is a safe place. Because we all need encouragement 
And we all need direction, don't we? There is wisdom in multiple voices. And so I would challenge you to take the time to, to work through what's happened in your past. But then also have the courage to sit down with someone to help you walk through your current and your future. Look up, look back, move forward. It's not a one-time thing in marriage. This is not like this. It's not like your vows, right? You say it once and you're done. This is an everyday pattern of life in marriage. I offend Tracy. Tracy offends me. Oh Lord, I gotta look up. Uh, I gotta look back. Why do I do this? What's sin in my life? Why am I doing this? Maybe I need to crucify my sin, my sin even further. And then how do we move forward in reconciliation? This is the kind of the pattern of, mar- of marriage we do every single day in our lives. Hear this. Freedom and true intimacy, true being known by God, your spouse, and others, a true gospel legacy. Your kids can see this like tangible expression of God's love through, through your, your relationship with each other. Hear this. It is possible. It is possible. But know this as well. It will take humility. It will take sacrifice. And it will take work. But what I can promise you this is the work is worth it. There is nothing greater in our lives than, than following God's way where he receives glory and others walk in that goodness. And to be real frank, if you have kids in this room, one of the greatest gifts you can give them is an intimate marriage is a picture of trust and love and openness in front of your kids. It's one of the best pictures we can give them. Because if you're like me, I want a new legacy for my family. Don't you? I want a gospel legacy. And too many times the enemy convinces us because of our past or because of our our tough reality that we're never going to get there. That's just not true. The Bible's full of stories of men and women that are train wrecks. They're train wrecks, aren't they? Even today, the people we use, David, adulterer, murderer, Zacchaeus, a thief, people that we would just just throw out. God restores and God uses. And I believe that is God's hope for us and for our marriages today. Let me pray for us.